What the hell is a temporary fandom? If you're a regular listener, you might have your own ideas by now, but I think it's something like this. For the time it takes to listen to an artist's entire discography, we try to get inside the heads of a bona fide devotee, to see if we can steal a little bit of the pleasure they're experiencing. Of course, we tend to choose artists we're already a little partial to ourselves, and today is no exception, at least not for me. Ewan may say otherwise. Anyway, if that sounds like a thing you might enjoy, then please do subscribe to the podcast, like us on Instagram, join our cult on Facebook. We're called Temporary Fandoms, you'll find us. And if you want to listen to the Spotify playlists of our shows, where we cut the discussions together with the tunes we're talking about, you can find them all on Beat Rehab. That's beat.rehab slash tempfans. Today we're going to embark on the career of one of those bands other artists like to name-check, but whose albums you may never have heard. If that's the case, I think you'll find this a fascinating journey, upon which you'll hear their influences upon countless other acts, many of whom did not emerge until decades later. Join me, Ewan, Aaron T. White and Christopher Whitby as we listen to the German cosmic musicians Can. Hello, uh, welcome to episode 11 of Temporary Fandoms. Um, I've actually got the count of the podcast right for the first time. Um, if you are still with us after the first 10, you'll have been listening to uh, people talking about and digesting ESG, the Pogues, uh, the Mercury Prize nominations, the Butthole Surfers, David Bowie, David Bowie, David Bowie, and uh, Yola Tango times two. Um, with me as always is Nick. Hello, Nick. Hello. And Nick is going to probably talk more than in the last Yoda Tango one, where he sort of disappeared for about 45 minutes and then came back towards the end. But we did have two guests who were very loquacious and talked a lot because uh, they were very enthusiastic. So go and find that. It was Jeffrey Lewis and Jesse Jarnow. And it was a really good pod. Um, rejoining us uh, from, I believe, the last time was the Butthole Surfers pod, we have Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Hello there. Uh, how are you? You've got, you've got a lovely looking new microphone, so uh, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. Um, I'm currently uh, COVID unemployed, but you know, I'm doing this unpaid podcast work, so... Uh, <laughs> but you're in Norway, right? So you get all that free oil money, like just, yeah, just yeah, posted just, through your letterbox. Yeah, they just... Well, <laughs> actually, I'm, I am actually getting money from the Norwegian government, so I, I can't complain too much. <laughs> And who are we doing today? Because this this one is yours. You're be, you're going to be curating this one. And who have we got? Uh, we are doing the uh, very very semi famous uh, German rock band Can. Um, they're one of the progenitors of the uh, kraut rock scene of the early seventies and late sixties in Germany. Okay, cool. No, I say cool. I mean, there seems to be some amazing symmetry. Last time you were on, uh, we had just got to. After the first few episodes, about 60, 70 listeners, and then suddenly we went obscure with butthole surfers, and we went for something not popular that was difficult for non-fans to get into. After the last few episodes, where we're hitting, getting up to about 190 for an episode, we full, full again, the semi-famous, never heard of them, can, um, who, who we'll be going through over the next two episodes. And joining us, um, who was with us the last time on the Mercury doing... What did you do, Chris? 
Uh, mine was Dua Lipa. That was it. <laughs> Rejoining us is Chris Whitby, who, as you heard there, was doing Dua Lipa on the Mercury Prize uh, run-through. And why are you here on the Can podcast, Chris? Um, two reasons. Uh, I am aware of semi-famous German kraut rock band Can, and Nick asked me, so maybe ask Nick why he brought me on here today. <laughs> I'm going to put well, it over to Nick. The thing is, the, the first six or seven people I asked all said, fuck off. Uh, yeah. That's the way life uh, goes, Nick. You just get the quality near the end. That's yeah. the, you, got, you have to work your way through. But I think that when we did Can last time, yeah, I think they're a band I really like. And I think this process would be interesting to kind of revisit some of the lesser known ones, which I think Nick was saying to me before that some of the later era ones. So yeah, be interesting. Awesome, thank you. I mean, just as a caveat, I also tried to tell Nick to fuck off, and I, I'm still here on this podcast after <laughs> having to listen to the entire discography for the first time in my life. Yeah, but you're going to make um, me do, sp- do Spoon for my troubles, aren't you? Yeah. Spoon, who were named, who named themselves after Can. Come on, catch up. Um, okay, too much rambling. There's a lot to get through. Um, as usual, um, you're either listening to us on your favorite pod player, uh, podcast app, or listen to the full app in Spotify. Remember, there's also a version of the podcast that is cut up into a playlist that contains selected tracks that you can listen to. Uh, works on Spotify Premium on mobile or any of the Spotify's on desktop. Or if you're not, just pause us, go off and listen. These are Spotify, Tidal, YouTube, the internet, whatever, and listen to the evolution of this band as we do. Um, everyone else has heard them before. This is this was my first time. Um, it's a two-parter. So what period are we going to cover in the first part? Um, we're going to be listening to their albums and some early recordings starting from when they began in 1967 until 1973 with their album Future Days. That's great. So we'll see you back after this. We were not thinking. When you make music together, you have to reach a common accident. Holger Chukai. Nobody really sounds like Can. But if you're familiar with their work, you'll begin to hear their stamp on everything that comes after. Can are up there with the Velvet Underground as one of those bands you're required to list as an influence. Even if you don't like them, it's best to pretend you do. And we're going to give you the tools you need to do just that. Can was officially formed in 1967 in Kern, Germany. But to tell their story, we have to go back. Our first stop is a year earlier, at a party in New York City, where we find a young Ermin Schmidt, a promising concert pianist and orchestra conductor. All the hip 1960s artists were there, which, I don't know, just yell a name at your phone, I won't negate you. But one that we can confirm is Terry Riley who asked Ehrman to play a simple repeating piano motif, a drone, over which Terry improvised with the saxophone. This was a revelation for young Ehrman. Composition wasn't something that happened on paper. It was capturing a moment. When he returned home, he set out to create something new. Music that was modern, but reflected their German history. Can, as children, grew up under the shadow of World War II. They saw their country torn in the two halves, raised by a generation so horribly led astray. They saw their cities leveled to the ground. They came of age within a culture that nearly eradicated another. 
It's not strange that German artists of the 60s wanted to turn their backs on what came before them. Ehrman had enlisted a former classmate of his under Karl Heinz Stockhausen, a young Holger Chukai, who was also looking to put a match to the past of classical music. Legend has it that when Holger knocked on Ehrman's door, he had with him a young, long-haired 18-year-old. That boy was Michael Caroli, who just turned down a place at law school. He brought with him a love of rock, and by playing them I Am the Walrus, he convinced Holger that one could be subversive within the context of rock and roll. The last of the core four was Yaki Liebesite, or Hair Love Time as nobody has ever called him. Yaki was looking to reject jazz music. He almost wasn't allowed in the group. He'd become famous as a wild drummer for the Manfred Schuff Band. And whatever the hell he was doing with them was not at all what Ehrman was looking for. But Yaki wasn't the drummer he was before. As legend has it, and let me warn you, the can story is filled with legends. A man came up to him after the show and said with great authority, as if he were a prophet, You have to play monotonous! That planted a seed, which resulted in Yaki becoming one of the world's most steady drummers. These men all left their previous careers behind and moved into a room of a castle outside of Kern, Schloss Nürvenich. They were allowed to live there rent-free for a year so they could help launch an art collective. They named themselves Inner Space. There was one piece missing, though. One day, a young American artist showed up at their recording studio by mistake. He was a visual artist looking for an art studio. Now, Malcolm Mooney wasn't a singer, but he was broke, homeless, and a draft dodger to boot. He had nowhere to go, so he gave singing a shot. They played him something they'd been working on, pressed record, and off he went, just spouting a barrage of words. According to legend, this is the very take they'd use for Father Cannot Yell, the opening track to Monster Movie. Malcolm was a rhythmic force, the thing that pushed inner space fully into rock. The man was a bit nuts, truth be told, but that gave the band the edge they needed. But Inner Space, it was too hippie-ish. So Yaki and Malcolm came up with a new name, something short, sweet, easy to remember, something affirming. The Can was born. We're starting our musical journey at a controversial place, delay 1968. Now most list their first album as 1969's Monster Movie, but Can had been religiously recording since 1967. Erwin Schmidt was supplementing the band's non-existent income by working as a conductor and scoring films. The band was hardly idle, though. They attacked the recording like they would any job, showing up every day at Schloss Neuvenich and improvising for up to 12 to 13 hours, documenting everything. They had only a two-track recorder and no sound mixing. The band had to stand at just the right distance from the mics. A simple step out of place would ruin everything. Afterwards, Holger would go through the tapes and cut out the best bits and put them together. There was no songwriting per se. They just played and documented and let Holger do his magic. Eventually, they compiled enough for their first album, Prepare to Meet Thy Penum. No label would invite. The most common complaint was that it wasn't commercial enough which makes me wonder how Can ever got a record deal. Can did eventually find somebody who would release their first album, themselves. This finally saw the light of day in 1981 when it was put out by their own label. Starting here reveals that even in their formative years they were interesting. 
So many of the elements people would come to love are already here. Butterflies, a pumping jam, driven by the intense rhythm section of... Well, everybody. The whole band is a rhythm section, especially Malcolm Mooney with his repeated mantras. You can hear a Velvet Underground influence, especially a 19th century man, even if it doesn't sound like the Velvet Underground. Can also show their early ability to produce dark mood pieces with Little Star of Bethlehem and The Thief, the latter of which Radiohead used to cover in concerts. And honestly, listening to it, you can hear how indebted Radiohead are to Can. Delay 1968 shows from the beginning that we're in for a wild ride. What is a song? Do you need a minimum number of chords? A chorus? A bridge? What about lyrics? Do nursery rhymes count? What about lines from a letter written by a jilted lover? Well, 1969's monster movie doesn't attempt to answer these questions. It just muddies the water. There's something so subversive about this. Can you imagine not being able to sell your first album due to lack of commercial viability? So you go back to the drawing board only to return with this? Now on paper, this reads like a disaster. Four tracks. All but one is longer than six minutes. The last, 20. Much of this is a band stuck in a one or two chord drone, while a man, teetering on the edge of insanity, barely sings, but just spurts off-key excerpts from his journal. Yet a label did buy this. Now we'll ignore that it was called Scheiss House, which translates to Shit House. Now these intros are meant to be objective, so the most I'll say about the quality of this album is that it's a masterpiece. The two bookending tracks are the most notable. The first, Father Cannot Yell, starts with a gently twittering keyboard, before the bass line to the Velvet Underground's European Sun kicks in. After a minute, they've dropped the Velvets, and have exploded into a jam that doesn't resemble anything that's come before. By four minutes we're trapped in a never-ending loop of insanity, as Malcolm just seems to be taunting you. Ha 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 The whole second side is dedicated to You Do Right, the first of Cannes' many great epics. Sure, a 20-minute jam composed of mostly one repeated chord may seem excessive, but that's because it is. But 20 minutes is downright economical considering it was edited down from a 12-hour jam. Now whether you love or hate it, you can't deny that it was... different. By the end of the first track, the band sounds like they've left every bit of themselves on the tape, with Malcolm hoarse and bordering on a breakdown. Monster Movie comes with a certain level of mystique. This explosion onto the German music scene by an exciting new band, laying down this towering achievement and having it be the only album they'd cut together. Part of what made Malcolm so exciting was that he always seemed on the verge, barely holding it together. And it worked. Up until it didn't. In another of the great legends surrounding Cannes, the band would play a show in the entryway of Schloss Norvenich. Mid-song, Malcolm got stuck in a loop watching people coming and going, walking upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs. Malcolm continued repeating this, even after the rest of the band had stopped playing, just standing there in the foyer, chanting upstairs, downstairs. Soon after, he took a plane back to the United States and had himself committed. But Can would move on. Can would find another singer and find themselves reaching new heights. <laughs> 